But, I mean, we're talking, they had seen firsthand people being healed. We, they'd seen uh, people being raised from the dead. I mean, God was doing a, the mission field. All right, it's time to get them busy. All right, now, whether it's Jesus' first disciples or whether it be a believer today, there is a lot of work to be done. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, look at the world around us. Is it not going crazy? I mean, it's going nuts. There is so much work to be done, so it was time for him to send them out. Now, do you think they believed that they were ready? Does anybody think that they really said, oh, I got this, man, let's go? I mean, nobody was like that. But sometimes you just have to step out and, and be obedient, and that's what we're going to see them do here, right? I mean, this is so, so important. See that if you choose not to get busy, if you choose not to immediately start serving God, if you choose to not start searching for your purpose, you're going to find it becomes real easy to start being a spectator, all right? Start being a spectator instead of a servant, which is what this message is about. And here's the difference. Servants serve, right? But spectators get stuck reading about and watching others serve, and they just kind of sit the bench. Now, how many people in here went out for a sport in high school and said, boy, I hope I get to ride the bench? Anybody? Like, nobody. Nobody does that. We all want to serve, but if we don't get busy, we will become a spectator. Listen, God didn't design us to be spectators. He designed us to be servants. I love this in Romans 12, 6a. It says, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to what? Exercise, Exercise them accordingly. Right? That means do it. Find your gift and employ it. Right? We were designed, everybody. It drives me crazy when people say, you know, my I don't think God really called me to, like, you know, go out and do stuff for him. <laughs> I mean, I've literally had people tell me that, and I'm going, yeah, I don't think that's a calling, doing nothing. I don't think that's a calling. Listen, we were designed to be Christ's representative here on earth. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, therefore, we are what? Ambassadors. Ambassadors. Stop sounding like the morning service. Okay, we are what? Ambassadors, Ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal, what? Through us, we beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So today we're going to discuss the first wave of disciples that Jesus kind of sends out to serve. Listen, none of them were perfect, but the message that they had to share was very important, and it was perfect. One thing you have to remember is God is not looking for perfect people to serve Him. That's not what He's looking for. He's just looking for willing people, people who are willing to do something. Okay, something. Now, let's jump into this. Matthew 10, 1. You know what's funny? I'm going to try to cover 15 verses today. What? Well, thanks for your vote of confidence, but I think we can do it. All right, Matthew 10, 1. Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. Now, there is a really important transition that's happening right now. It takes place in these verses. Okay, so... Twelve men who were once disciples, right before our eyes, become apostles. Okay, they were disciples before they were sent out. Now they're going to be apostles. Now the Greek word for disciple is mathetes, and it means pupil or follower. I hope you guys know that. I've thrown that out there like a half million times. Right now, the Greek word for apostle is apostilos, and what it means is one who's sent. All right, one who's sent, or one sent to serve. Right now, Jesus sent his 12 pupils, his 12 followers, or his 12 
disciples out to share the good news, and they became apostles because Jesus personally sent them. But not just, he didn't just send them. This is really neat. He also gave them some special abilities. Now, granted, they were very special abilities. I mean, and the reason he gave them to them was so that they could prove to people that they were from God. A lot of people ask, well, why doesn't God give us all those same abilities when he sends us out? Well, listen, I mean, they were going out into a world who didn't like Jesus and didn't like the idea of Christianity. And these people had to realize that the men coming to them had authority from God, and this was the simplest way, by giving them abilities like being able to heal, being able to raise the dead. I think that would convince you. Wouldn't that convince you? You know, somebody walks into a graveyard and says, yes, I am from God. Poof, somebody crawls out. I mean, that'd sell me, right? So healing, raising the dead, and casting out demons, several other things, they were given these special abilities to prove to people that they were from God. Now, there's something I want to cover that's really important here, because we get a lot of confusion with a lot of the false teachers out there today. There's this time frame when all this was happening, when he was making the disciples apostles, is known as the apostolic era. Okay, And that just means the time when the apostles were alive and commissioned to go out and serve and given these abilities. Just, that's called the apostolic era when the original apostles were sent out. Okay, You will find that there are very few people in Scripture ever given the abilities they were given. Right? And you won't find evidence of anybody having these abilities after the apostolic era. Because you see people on TV like trying to claim that they can heal anybody anywhere. Anybody ever see that on TV? And they're like selling prayer claws and stuff like that. You, you know what I mean? Like, buy this and you'll be healed of everything. I'm like, what? Seriously? I mean, there's no evidence that any of these gifts were given past the apostolic era. I'm going to tell you a story. This isn't in my outline, but... I got the mic, and I'm going to share it anyway, okay? Literally, there was a local family whose daughter was blind, young girl, like eight years old. And they were following one of the televangelists that claimed to have, you know, the arbitrary ability to heal. So they drove a long way to see this person speak, and they claimed to have the apostolic era gifts. And when they got in line to talk to the people about getting seen by the minister, they said, sorry, we're not doing eyes today. I mean, anybody see a red flag there? I mean, the, the, the apostles were given the ability just to say, you're healed. They didn't have to have faith, the person they were healing. There was, no, you know, there was no conditions. They were given the ability to heal just like Jesus healed. right? So there, but there's no evidence that that happens now. But I don't want to be a stick in the mud because God is still doing miracles. He's still healing people. He's still doing amazing, amazing things. Things. If you look at James 5.16, it kind of gives you the avenue of how we can still see these miracles. It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that what? You may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces what? Wonderful results. Listen, God is still healing. He's still doing these miracles. He's just doing them through the prayers of the saints. People praying, and if it's his will, he will do these things. He still has that power. He just hasn't arbitrarily given it to someone. Okay? Now, I'll be honest with you, I have seen so many amazing miracles. I've witnessed them with my own eyes. And this is kind of sad to say, but sometimes I'm almost afraid to share them with people because I'm afraid they're going to think, you know, sure, you're like that crazy guy on TV. But I still share them because I've seen these, and I make sure that I tell them, listen, I never healed anybody, but I have seen people that we have healed, or that we have prayed for, whoops, delete that, people we have prayed for that have been healed. I saw a woman who was paralyzed who they said would, you know, would never walk again. And we prayed for her, and four days later, she walked out of the hospital. 
Listen, did I heal her? No. Did I ask the God of all creation to heal her? And he answered me with a resounding yes. Absolutely. That's, what ha- that's what's happened. I've seen people that were given up to hospice. And they're saying, we're just waiting it out. Who the Lord has healed and they're alive today. And I believe that was through the prayers of the saints. So I, I, he, I don't want you to think I'm saying God still doesn't heal. He does. But this, this apostolic era gift of healing where certain people were given, you know, this blanket authority to be able to have power over disease and illness and death, that time has already passed. Now, I just wanted to cover that. And so I want you to, we're going to look at something really neat here. He's about to give us his starting lineup. Okay, this is the first 12 that they sent out. The starting lineup. Okay, Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 2. It says, here are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, also called Peter. Then Andrew, Peter's brother. James, son of Zebedee. John, James's brother. Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector. Well, that name follows him everywhere he goes, doesn't it? The tax collector. It's like saying Matthew, the felon, right? Uh, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus. Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot. Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. Now, it's kind of funny because Peter, Andrew, James, and John were all just fishermen. I mean, they weren't rabbinically trained. They were not, you know, the seen their whole life as being the next amazing thing for God. They were fishermen. They fished for a living, right? Um, so they were all just fishermen. Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, James, and Thaddeus. It never tells us what they did. <laughs> That's got to make them feel good. You know what I mean? As they look down from heaven, they go, really? You didn't even tell them what we did for a living? I mean, you know what I mean? We don't even know what they did. They were irrelevant, right? Now, Simon the Zealot was a political revolutionary against Rome. He was one of those people like bloggers today. You know what I mean? He was constantly trying to get people to picket and do stuff and boycott, and he just hated the government, and that's what he was. And Judas was a thief and a traitor, and he would later betray Jesus. I think everybody knows that, Right? And then last but not least, Matthew, who was what? A tax collector, poor guy. All right. Does this sound like the dream team to you? I mean, if you were thinking that God was going to send out 12 people to be his first apostles, the first ones to go out and be the face of the movement other than Christ, they were going to go out and start this movement, would this be the ones you picked? Fishermen? Tax collectors? I mean, political wackos? I mean, this was... This was who they sent out. This was the starting lineup. I mean, not really the dream team. But what it does is it reveals something about the life-changing power of God. Because all these unlikely disciples became apostles. Those who were sent by Jesus himself after just simply surrendering to him. Now, I just think that's powerful. It shows us that God can use anybody. Now, a lot of people ask me, well, was Judas really a disciple? Because we know he betrayed, you know, Christ. Was he really an apostle? The answer is yes and yes. Remember the definition of those two words. Was he a follower? Yes, he followed Jesus. Was he one that was sent by Jesus? Yes, by definition, he was both of those. But I want to clear something up. Judas never believed People always come up to me and say, well, Judas lost his salvation because, no. Disciple doesn't mean believer. Apostle doesn't mean believer. It means follower and one who was sent. He never believed. But he had a purpose. 
right? He was a huge part of God's plan. If you look at John 17, 12, Jesus says, While I was with them, I, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, uh, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Okay, the son of perdition is just a Hebrew idiom for one destined to perish. And what that means was God saw down the tunnels of time that this man was never going to believe, that, that his heart was only for himself, that he would never commit himself to Christ, and he saw that this was the perfect candidate to be the one to lead Christ and betray Christ and lead Christ to the cross. Okay, so this is really, really important. He had a purpose, but he was not a believer. See, the enemy used Judas to betray Jesus, which ultimately led to his crucifixion. Right, and what I think is funny is that the enemy really believed that he had an inside man, that he had a mole. Like, like Jesus didn't know. You know what I mean? And he really believed that, yeah, now I got Judas in place. He's going to betray him. He's going to be killed, and, and I win. Right? And what he doesn't realize is that the mole he planted actually facilitated eternal life for everyone. Talk about a backfire in your plan. There it is. So I just wanted to cover that because a lot of times I don't think people understand that, that yes, Judas was an apostle. Yes, he was a disciple, but he was not a believer, but he had a purpose. That's why God had him there. Okay, so now the lives of these apostles reveal something really important about God, something I think a lot of us forget about God, and that is God can make anyone, no matter who they are or who they were, no matter who they are or who they were, a completely powerful new person. I mean, completely powerful new person. And the reason I bring this up is, have you ever found something in your past hard to get over even after God's forgiven you? Anybody here kind of relive some guilt from the past? I mean, not me, I was perfect. The rest of you probably do, though. No, but we all have something that we carry with us. And even if everybody forgives us, we kind of struggle forgiving ourselves, don't we? And sometimes I think that hinders us from serving God and kind of relegates us to a spectator because we think the world still sees us for who we were, and maybe they do, right? And we allow that, we allow the enemy to use that to hinder us and keep us from being the servant we're supposed to be. But if there's one thing that this motley crew that he sent out proves to us, do you think they all had clean reputations by the time they left? Do you think everybody forgot that Matthew was a tax collector by the time they sent him out? Absolutely not. That man had ripped people off for years. People probably still saw him as a rip-off artist. You know, do you think people didn't think that the Simon the Zealot was still a political nut job? That's probably what people still thought about him. But what this shows us is that it doesn't matter who you are or who you were, if you will surrender to God and be willing to just get in and serve, he can make you an effective servant. I mean, a completely effective servant. And it's tough because, unfortunately, we still kind of see like the world sees, don't we? I mean, we judge people. Now, I know Christians like to say we don't judge. But let's have a moment of confession. These are one of my favorite moments, by the way. How many people in here can honestly say they've never judged anybody since you've been a believer? Raise your hand. Oh, good. I was hoping nobody would raise their hand on that one. It's in our nature. If someone was a jerk to you in high school, when you become a believer and when you see them, you go, you know what, I've forgotten it all. I love you now. Is that what you think? 
No, I mean, we judge people by the information that is available to us right now. And, and, and so a lot of times, since we see through the eyes of the world, it makes us give up on people too quickly. It makes us not believe that God can use people. And what's, what's really sad about that is while we're writing people off for who they were, while we're judging people for who they were or for some of the things they've done in the past, it's really sad when the people we're writing off is us because we can't get past who we were. That is so sad, and I see that all the time. We just decide that, listen, there's no way God's going to use somebody like me. Everybody knows what I was. You know, I don't have any special abilities that I'm aware of, so I'm just going to sit back and watch others, you know, go out and serve, and I'll become a what? Spectator, thank you, you three. <laughs> Since they're not going to be a servant, they would become a spectator. My gosh, it's like leading a horse to water here. Come on now. Right? You have to remember, God sees you and everyone else for what they can be. That's what he sees in all of us. And sometimes I think we forget that the people we look up to in Scripture, we forget who they were. You know I mean? When you think of Moses, you think of the great leader who led the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, right? Moses was a murderer on the run when God found him. Did you forget about that? There's probably episodes back then of forensic files with Moses on it. Okay? I mean, he was a murderer. Abraham, the father of faith, right, was a liar. People always tell me, I can't believe you said that about Abraham. Well, I mean, it's true. He lied time and time again. He told somebody his wife was his sister. Creepy. But anyway, he was a liar, and he became the father of faith. David, oh my gosh, pick your sin. I mean, he was an adulterer. He, I mean, there's so many things that David was guilty of, yet all these people didn't let that hinder him. They all surrendered to God, and all of them became great. And in our eyes now, we see them as great. So when you start judging other people for who they were or judging yourself for who you were, Remember, the person that you're writing off might be the next world changer. It might be the next Moses, the next Abraham. I mean, we have endless possibilities if we can just start to see ourselves and others through the eyes of God. And that's one of the amazing things about these passages is it actually shows us, I I believe God picked people that nobody would expect so that we could realize that it's people like us that no one would expect to do something great. He still uses I think that's why he did that, and I think it's really, really important. We have to start looking at ourselves differently. See, the moment you believe, do you realize that you are sent? Did you know that? You are sent out. Every last one of you. Now, I hesitate to call you apostles, because that's kind of weird. But by definition, the moment you believe, you are sent by Jesus. That means that God sees you as a powerful instrument that has a purpose in his plan. Every last one of us. Because we've all experienced his life-changing power, just like the apostles had, the disciples who became apostles. And because of that, we knew and we know who he is. So he sends us out. We are people who are sent by God, who are sent by God. We should be more confident to be servants. We should be more confident, and we're just not. And it, it's really frustrating. Listen, I've, I've been here. I've been there many times. Listen, when we first started the church, I, I, I'll never forget. I kept thinking of every reason why I shouldn't. I really did. 
I mean, I would pray about it, but the whole time I'd pray about it is I'm like, any day now I'm going to get registered mail that says don't do this. I mean, that, I, I really started looking at all the reasons I shouldn't be. Even, even just a speaker, I, just, I started looking at all these reasons I shouldn't become a preacher, and then I started looking at all these reasons I shouldn't become a pastor. I mean, I was young, broke. I couldn't even finish all my seminary classes at the time because I was broke. So I was literally buying books and trying to teach myself the original languages. Anybody want to take that one on? Took a while. You know what I mean? But at first, I didn't have the money. I didn't have the degree. Right? And so immediately I thought, well, you know, then, then God can't use me. Because people know that, you know, I haven't finished school yet. People know that. I had a bad reputation. I know that shocks all of you. But I had a bad reputation. You know that still follows me to this day? People will bring stuff up that I've done. There are people who won't come here for something I did 30 years ago. I'm like, seriously? I would hate to be married to you. Can you imagine? 30 years ago, they still hold it against me. So I kept thinking, gosh, I don't know, I had a pretty bad reputation. And I started thinking of all these reasons that I shouldn't step out, that maybe I should just be a spectator and watch others serve, watch others preach, watch others become pastors, because the enemy kept putting all these reasons in my mind. But there's one thing that just kept ringing in my ears that kept me from giving up, and I, no matter what I did, no matter how hard I tried, it wouldn't leave my mind. One thing just kept popping up in my head, and that is that I remembered that I had been saved, and I had been sent. I saw in the scriptures that, listen, everyone who's saved is sent, everyone has a purpose, and I thought, I just, I can't get it out of my mind that I am supposed to be sent. This is what I'm supposed to do. Listen, I didn't have the degree, and I didn't have the good reputation, but I did have a commission, and that commission is what kept me in the fight. Listen, out of everything I didn't have and all the reasons I had to not serve, here's what I did have. I had the Spirit of God in me. Do you forget that sometimes that's there? Do you forget that the Spirit of God, the Bible says the same one that raised Christ from the dead, is in you? I think that's some pretty powerful equipment. What do you think? I remember that I had the Spirit of God in me. I had the Word of God. The Bible says sharper than any two-edged sword. This is the most powerful gift He's given us beyond our salvation is His Word. I had the Word of God. And I had a calling from God that I couldn't deny. So despite everything I didn't have, remembering the fact that everyone who is a believer is, has a purpose and is sent, that's what kept me in the game. That's what kept me from, from becoming just a spectator. And I think he used people like this to teach us that. Okay, let's move on. Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 5. It says, Jesus sent out the 12 apostles uh, with these instructions. Don't go to the Gentiles or Samaritans, but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Anybody think that sounds rough? Okay. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near okay so basically he says don't don't go to anyone except for the jews to start with don't go to the samaritans don't go to the gentiles listen the samaritans were this sounds bad but they were half-breeds okay they were jews that had intermarried right and so they weren't full-blooded if you will you know pedigree jews anymore and they had kind of adopted some other traditions, and they rejected traditional Judaism, so they weren't who they, you know, they had drifted from what God designed them to be, and so they were really looked down on by the Jews. The Jews would even walk around a Samaritan area of town so they wouldn't get their dirt on the feet where the Samaritans walked. I mean, that might be a little judgmental, <laughs> you know what I mean? 
I'm telling you what, if I ever lived back then and Jim's Pizza was in the middle of Samaritan time, I'd have been in there. I'm like, y'all got to forgive me, I'm going in. No. But that's how they felt about him. They couldn't stand him. Now, Gentile simply means anybody not, who's not a Jew. Anybody who's not a Jew, that's, that, that's all, that, all that means. So he said, listen, don't go to any of those before you go to the Jews. Go to the Jews first. Go to the Jews first. Now, here's the thing that we mess up. He didn't say, reject everybody else. Did you read that anywhere? When he sent him out, he said, first go to the lost sheep of Israel. He didn't say, he didn't say, reject anybody else that comes to you, tell them they can't be saved. We've seen time and time again, you'll see Jesus heal a Samaritan woman. I mean, we'll see all these evidences of Jesus healing and, and, and bringing Gentiles in. It's, he never said reject everybody else. He said just go to the Jews first because remember last week we talked about how God gave him a starting point. He made a promise to the, the Jewish forefathers that they would have the first opportunity, and he's just keeping it. Romans 15, 8 says, Remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to the promises he made to their ancestors. That's all this is. Right? I, don't want you to, I want you to understand something. We didn't accidentally come upon the grace of God just because the Jews rejected it. It was always God's plan to have eternal life available to everybody. They just had to start with the Jews because he keeps his promises. I have a lot of people out there that say that there's only certain people that God sent his son to die for. That really bothers me. Does that bother anybody else? I mean, there are people out there that honestly believe that the Jews are better than us. Now, are they God's chosen people? Absolutely. But God's plan has always been to offer everyone and anyone who would believe an opportunity to have eternal life. I love this. 1 John 2, 2 says, and he, capital H, talking about Jesus, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those, what? Of the whole world. Someone told me one time, well, that, 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 the whole world there doesn't mean everybody. And I'm going, uh, are you talking about aliens? Because I'm pretty sure the whole world means, you know, the whole world. So he went to the Greek, and he's like, yeah, what's got to mean something different? We looked in the Greek, guess what it meant? the whole world. I mean, it's always been his plan, but he had to go to the Jews first because that was the promise he made. Now, another thing that's important here is that you have to remember the message he told them to share was that the kingdom of heaven was here. The kingdom of heaven was near, rather. All right, now, he wasn't offering the Jews heaven like we think of. He was offering them that millennial kingdom that God had promised, that messianic kingdom, that time when Jesus would reign for a thousand years, Satan would be chained, and that all the people that served in that kingdom would be the faithful. I mean, this is what he was offering them. And had they believed and trusted him, it would have began right then. But they rejected it. He was offering them this messianic kingdom. So because they've rejected it, that kingdom is still coming. Right? That's still going to happen. But that's what he was offering them. And they rejected it, but he did have to offer it to them first, right? Okay, now, let's move on. I'm trying to cover this. Stay with me. Everybody still with me? (laughs) So convincing! We need an espresso machine. Anyway, Matthew 10, 8. Jesus says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. Don't take any money in your money belts, no gold, silver, or even copper coins. Don't carry a traveler's bag with a change of clothes and sandals or even a walking stick. 
Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve to be fed. I think this is interesting because unlike the 80s and 90s televangelists, right? Some, how many people in here were not alive in the 80s and 90s? Yeah, right. Yeah. Maybe not conscious, but no. Um, <laughs> the 80s and 90s, you know, televangelists kind of had this backwards. Because Jesus told the apostles, do all this for free. I gave it to you for free. Share it for free. Don't use this as a means of profit. Basically, they were representatives of the Messiah. He wanted them to act accordingly. They weren't supposed to charge because of their gifts. They weren't supposed to go out and say, well, leprosy is going to cost you. That's a big one. You know, that's, that's not what they were supposed to do. They weren't supposed to look at someone and say, sorry, we're not doing eyes today. Right? He said, you have been given this freely. Give it freely. Don't charge people to bless them. Don't charge them to bless them. Listen, eternal life is free of charge, and so is the blessings and grace of God, and he wanted these people to get a glimpse of that, because you got to remember, these Jews had been judged and taken advantage of and misled by their leaders for years. The last thing they needed was someone else to come out and take their money and take advantage of them. He's saying, listen, don't do that. They need to experience the difference between religion and grace. They need to find out what the difference is, and you're going to show them by sharing these gifts, these amazing abilities with them, and don't charge a thing. Don't charge anything. And I love this because it makes me think, you know, when we serve God, our motivation has to be just to share the love of Christ with God's people and with people who are potentially his people. Our motives have to be pure. They have to be. One thing that I kind of struggle with is sometimes it's almost like people don't serve unless there's something in it for them. That bothers me. They want a title. I'm like, if you don't serve, I'll give you a title. Lazy. <laughs> right? I mean, they want a title. They want to make sure that they're recognized. Do you know if someone gives us a big check, donates a big check, which hasn't happened in a long time, but if that happened, if they ask me to stand in the paper and shake hands and hold that check up, I'll reject it. And here's why. The only person, I will give them a thank you letter and a way to write it off, but the only person I'm going to give glory for that is God. Okay? There shouldn't be motives other than seeing the will of God done. When you do something, it needs to be because you want to see the will of God done. You want to share the grace and love of Christ with God's people and the potential and potentially God's people. That has to be what drives us. And unfortunately, I don't think it is all the time. You've got to remember, we're supposed to be different from the rest of the world, and the whole world is always out for what they can get. The whole world only does something if they have something to benefit. If Christians do that too, how will they ever believe we're different? You know what I mean? Listen, do things because God has asked you to and because you love His people. That's why we need to do those things. We can't be about what we can get. We need to think, what can we give from the many blessings that God has given us? You know what I mean? I love it when somebody takes groceries to someone's house and just leaves. It, it drives me crazy when someone does something good like that and, like, puts it all over Facebook and stuff. I'm like, and there goes your reward right there. You know, I love seeing stuff like that. I love it when people serve just because they have been blessed and they want to bless others. And when I say, you know, giving, I'm not talking just financially. I'm talking about investing your time and talents in other people, helping other people just because you love God. This is what he was telling them. Listen, invest in them because you love me. Don't charge anything. 
And then the next thing he told him was kind of weird. I don't know if any of you ever noticed this, but he said, don't take anything with you. Anybody else think that was weird? I mean, not even a change of clothes. No walking stick. No food. Does that sound like a trip anybody wants to sign up for? No walking stick. No money. Nothing. He's saying, go out with absolutely nothing. It almost sounds like he's telling them to be poor planners, doesn't it? But it's not that at all. I believe he did this for two reasons. First of all, he wanted to teach the apostles to fully rely on God and to teach them that, hey, when you're serving me, I'll provide for you. I'll take care of you. Just step out and I'll bless you. Right? You don't have to have all the answers up front. You don't have to make all the provisions up front. I will bless you. Listen, as we've been working on this building, I've had a lot of people tell me, you know, we're in full, full throttle here. We're doing everything we can do to get this done. In a year. That, my goal is a year. I don't know. We'll see. Right? And I've had people say, oh, so you saved up the money. <laughs> and I try not to laugh. But I'm like, no. And you're like, oh, so, and I'm like, listen, I'm going to be really honest with you. I just feel like it's time. I feel like God wants it to happen. And I'm just going to step out and trust him to be God. That's what I'm going to do. And you know what? He's never let me down before when I've trusted him to be God. So he's going to step up big time this time too. This is what he's asking them to do. Step out. Don't go with a plan in case I fail you. I'm not going to fail you. Don't go out with anything. I will take care of you. I will bless you. Don't forget that I fed the children of Israel in the desert with food dropping from the sky. I got this. That's what he's trying to tell them. I love that. He's trying to tell them, teach them to be fully reliant on God. And I think the other reason he did this is he wanted other people to see that when you step out to serve, God provides. You know, they're seeing that God's providing for them even though they're not bringing anything with them. And maybe also he's giving those people that see that an opportunity to be a blessing to them. He says, don't turn down hospitality. You're doing the work. You deserve it. Right? So that's kind of the reason he did that. So I think that's really powerful. He sends them out and he says, when you go out, do it for the right reasons and don't make a plan B. I got this. Make plan A. Serve me. I'll take care of all the details. Anybody have struggles stepping out if you don't have it all figured out? Let's be honest. Raise your hand if you're a control freak and you, you struggle a little bit. Some of you better get your hands up because Jesus is watching. I've had people come to me and say, I really want to start this ministry. And I say, oh, same thing I always say. Great. Bring me all the details. Show me that you, if you, it's well thought out and we'll get you rolling. And a couple months go by and I come and talk to him like, hey, wh- you know what happened? Well, you know, I'm trying to figure out this and I'm trying to figure out that. And I'm trying to, I'm like, okay, well, I mean, do you know what you're going to teach? Yeah. Know when you're going to meet? Yeah. Do you have the curriculum? Yeah. Why don't you step out? Well, and they're, they're trying to figure out every little detail along the way. If the apostles had done that, they would have never went out. Ever. Sometimes it's hard for us to let go and say, God, I know you've called me to do this. I don't have all the details, but I have confidence and faith that you bless those who serve you. I'm not going to be a spectator. I'm stepping out. And then God blesses you. It's tough for us sometimes. I love how he just says, go out there and let me prove to you that I'm God. Let me prove to you that I provide for those I commission. I commissioned you. Go. I, I love that. And I love this next section. This section, you talk about sounding harsh. This is it. Okay, Matthew 10, 11 through 15. He says, whenever you enter a city or village, search for a worthy person and stay in his home until you leave town. So they were probably looking for homes with Steelers flags outside. <laughs> Be my guess. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, silence. Verse 12, when you enter the home, give it your blessing. If it turns out to be a worthy home, let your blessing stand. If it is not, take back the blessing. 
That sounds kind of rough, doesn't it? Indian blesser. Uh, verse 14. <laughs> I will explain. If any household or town refuses to welcome you or listen to your message, shake its dust from your feet as you leave. I tell you the truth, the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah will be better off than such a town on the judgment day. Okay, now does this sound pretty harsh? I mean, it, it sounds pretty harsh, but really what's going on here, and there's a lot I could go into, but the overriding theme here, th this is really some good advice, and here's why. What Jesus is trying to teach them, and us, is the importance of knowing when to move on. Knowing when to move on. Anybody struggle with not getting the timing right of when to move on? You always find yourself caught in this sludge, trying to make something out of nothing, and it destroys you and it starts to pull you down. You just can't, are there any people here who struggle just moving on? This is, this is something I think he's trying to tell them here. See, we spend so much time dealing with negative and unwilling people. We spend so much time dealing with that. Notice I said unwilling people. I'm talking about those bitter and angry people who just refuse to honor God and refuse to honor his people. And they may even be family members. We spend so much time getting bogged down, afraid to move on in those situations. And what he's trying to say here, he wanted the apostles and us to realize that he wants us to use the time we've been given as effectively as possible. As effectively as possible. If someone is rejecting everything you say, if someone wants nothing to do with everything you say, it's not very valuable anymore for you to get bogged down with that. He's saying, pray for them, move on. Move on, because you know what happens? The longer you get tied up in those situations with negative people who are rejecting God, you know what you find out about yourself? You start to become a little negative yourself, don't you? You start to become a little bitter and angry. And when you start talking about them, you're like, I don't know what the deal is. Those jerks just won't accept Jesus. I'm like, well, I see the love of God just dripping off you. And then you start getting in debates and arguments. Does anybody see in the scripture where it says, I'm sending you out to debate and argue with people? Time on end until you become angry, bitter people. That's not what he says. He's saying, listen, offer them a blessing. He's telling the apostles, and if they reject you, then move on. There's people out there who will listen. Don't get bogged down with that. Move on. Listen, we weren't called. We weren't called to debate and argue and seek revenge. That's, that's something that none of us are supposed to do. That's not what we are called to do. And you can get so bogged down in it. When I first became a minister, I remember I, I thought I had to prove everything to everybody, even if they didn't want to hear it. And I spent more time trying to find good arguments than I did trying to grow closer to Jesus. I spent more time arguing with people who didn't want to hear it than sharing it with those who did. I wasn't making effective use of of my time. Listen, God will handle the bitter, angry people who refuse and reject him. He'll handle them. That's not your job. Move on and find somebody who is willing to listen. Right? That's what he's saying. He's not saying give up on him. He's saying maybe you're not the guy. Don't get bogged up. Move on. Get past this. Right? God will handle it. Move on. And what's really kind of cold here is he even said, if you have to shake the dust off your feet and leave because they've rejected you, it's going to be better for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than those cities and those towns. Everybody here remember what Sodom and Gomorrah is? Anybody here not know? I mean, it was like 
you know, Vegas times 10 back then? <laughs> what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah? <laughs> no. It was an evil city that continually rejected God, right? Continually rejected God. So you're thinking, how can it be better for, that, for those cities? Here's how it can be better. Listen, Sodom and Gomorrah could have still repented. They could have still repented. But when someone rejects Jesus, who are they going to repent to? Once you've rejected Jesus, there's, there's no other avenue to get made right with God again. There's, he's saying, listen, when they reject Jesus, when they reject me, listen, there's, it's going to be bad for them. There's no way they can find redemption once they reject me. And that's what he was saying. And that's 15 verses. I did get through it. Okay, did you guys all stay with me? Okay, good. Listen, I think the message here is clear, though. Okay, we're not sent out to be spectators. We're sent out to be servants. And listen, I'm going to get you over the edge if you're battling with, with you know, what your calling is. Your calling is to do something. And whatever you're gifted in might be the area you start. Does that make it easy enough? If you're a good singer, I've got an idea. If you're a good musician, I've got an idea. If you're a good teacher, if you like being around people, if you like children, praise God for you. If you like to being in there with little kids, right? If whatever you're gifted in, start there. I promise you, you have something to do. And the longer you become a spectator, the farther you get from the blessings and the purpose that God created you for. And I think this message is clear in here. Listen, if you're saved, you have a purpose, find it. That's what he was trying to say here. I'm going to go ahead and close out. I'm going to ask you would to please bow your heads. this is your first time here, we always give an invitation, and I know with messages like these, you're thinking, wow, this is really kind of to the to believers. The funny thing is, the Word of God touches people, and it doesn't have to be the way we design it to. If, if you're not sure of where you stand with Christ, if you're not sure if you have a relationship with Christ, maybe today the Word has spoken to you, and if it has, we want to pray for you. So while every head's bowed and every eye's closed, if you're not sure where you stand and you'd like us to pray for you, just raise your hand or, or make eye contact with me. Bless those people, and I'll, and I'll pray for you. Listen, I think the time is short, and I believe the call of God is louder and more prominent than it's ever been. I just hate seeing people walk away from something so free and amazing. And if you're listening online, God knows your heart, and, and we'll be praying for you too. But if you're a believer here today, I really hope that this message has spoken to you because, listen, the time is short and you have a purpose. And waiting around for someone else to do it is wasting that purpose. I, it's, I'm just going to pray that you get serious about becoming a servant. That you get out of spectator mode and just fully commit yourself. You don't have to have all the plans. You don't have to have all the... T's crossed and the I's dotted. You just have to have the willingness to serve and he'll meet you with the rest. I'm going to pray for you too. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for all that you do. I thank you for your love and your mercy. I thank you for your grace. And I just thank you that you loved us despite the fact that we are imperfect and we, we never can be perfect and that we always let you down. And I just thank you so much that you love us despite that. I thank you that you made eternal life free and simple. I thank you that you loved us so much that you gave us the ability to just trust in what Jesus did on that cross to guarantee our eternal life. And then through that, give us this amazing gift. 
I just pray if someone here doesn't know you or someone listening doesn't know you, that they would just put aside anything that's hindering them and just trust what Jesus did to be enough. And if they do, we know they'll become part of the family today. And if they make that decision, I pray they find someone that can walk with them in their journey. If they're here, they can fill out a card or email us and, and we'll come alongside them. Or if they're a long way from here, I pray they find a good church or a good Christian friend that they, that they can walk with in their new journey. God, we just, we welcome these people in and we want to be there to embrace them. And God, for those of us who know you, we confess it's easy to let other peoples do while we watch. God, I just pray that everyone that can hear my voice looks for the gift and the ability that you've given them and they find a way to employ it. They could be the next amazing and powerful instrument that you use to change the world and I just want them to realize that. I just pray that we put our excuses aside, we put on our work gloves and we dig in. I just pray that as we leave here today, we live what we profess. I pray that everything we do and say honors and glorifies you. I pray that you keep us safe and if you don't return to take us home before we meet again, I just pray that we come together and give you all the praise, honor, and glory you're so worthy of one more time. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.